Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a coach at Strength Guild. I also run Lift for Hope, UFSF, uh, Highland Games athlete, and just all-around nice guy. And this is John Mike. I am a uh, professor, I'm a strong competitor. I love to eat, love pancakes, and I pushed a 900-pound sled yesterday for 25 yards in 30 seconds. Ooh. Hey, we also have Sean, Sean the intern with us today. Sean, maybe just a sentence or two about yourself. Um, yeah, hi, my name's Sean Money. Um, I'm a former college baseball player. I'm a, I'm a master's student in nutrition right now, and I'm the new Iron Radio intern. Woohoo! Nice. After we nice. do the news, uh, we're going to do an opening segment. Uh, Sean's inaugural uh, segment is going to be about his experiences, right, moving from a uh, collegiate sports and fitness kind of uh, background into nutrition because I think a lot of people have some funny ideas about what real nutrition is and Sean's right in the middle of it so he can give us some of his thoughts there. All right, we have mail, uh, news, a couple of different things. Uh, let's start with one and and again, uh, Phil and John, you guys can chime in from the powerlifting and strongman side of things too but this was a local question and uh, is actually through someone that my wife knows, but uh, we'll call it looking to compete. Uh, the question is basically this, how long uh, should I prepare for a contest? Now, this is a probably a f- figure, physique, bikini type thing. Um, and I, I, honestly, we've done episodes before. Uh, one of the things I might say about this is, when you talk about if you're thinking to compete, um, a typical contest diet is 16 to 20 weeks. Uh, I like longer ones than shorter. Uh, sometimes you'll hear people talking about dieting for 12 weeks. Uh, that's too short, in my opinion. You're going to lose too much muscle tissue and that sort of thing. you got to coax body fat off most of the time. But we had some episodes on this, too. We did a episode 152. Uh, was on contest dieting. We had a couple of mid-level competitors uh, who have since moved up, actually, the ranks a bit. So episode 152, you can listen. And I think episode 68 might have something relevant for you, too. I just thought, gosh, you know, with 351 episodes now, we might as well point to some of these when people have questions. Now, this is where you guys might come in, though. Um, Which show, like, how do I pick uh, a competition? And I can tell you, in in bodybuilding, uh, bikini, figure, uh, I would personally recommend someone start with a, a show that is not a national qualifier because that those are going to draw some of the more hardcore people. And I think your first contest, you want success. You know, it's like picking your opening lifts and powerlifting. You you don't want to just set yourself up to fail. I would I would argue. So I would find something that's not a national qualifier and has a novice division. Now, if you want to, if you diet for that long, you might as well compete in novice and open. That's fine. Do both. Uh, But I don't think I would jump into a national qualifier right off the bat, even if it has a novice category, because some bodybuilding competitions or figure or fitness, uh, they define novice as never having won an overall competition. Well, some of these competitions, you know, you can have someone who's very hardcore finalist in some very hard, you know, high level events, uh, and they're officially novice by that definition. So again, you know, you don't want to find yourself on stage with people who are heavily enhanced or uh, experienced competing when you really need to get your feet wet, you know, because I'll tell you, it's a real learning experience to get yourself on stage with all the preparation, you know, that's called for. So not national qualifier, uh, pick something 16 weeks out, uh, novice division, and do a countdown, right? The countdown is the way you do that. 
week by week because your diet will change across the 16 to 20 weeks. But, Phil, uh, any advice you would have for someone if they were looking for something? We'll just expand this into uh, strength as well. I'd give yourself, like most of my people, we we do at least a 12-week peak. Um, I mean, if you're ready, I suppose. I mean, if you just want to go do one, I suppose you could do one less than that. Um, I Just find something in your area. I mean... And just go jump in. I just try and get people to just jump in. They're not that much different. Um, <clears throat> after your first one, you can start picking and choosing, and uh, you know which fed that you like the the rules the best. I mean, the basic rules are all the same. Um, and then there's nitpicky stuff like some of them you can't pick your head up on the bed. Some of them you can. Some of them you can be on your toes. Some of them you can't. Um, that stuff can come late <laughs> after your first competition. So I mean, I'd just find one that's that's fairly close to you so you don't have to worry about a bunch of travel and things like that and you know sign up and get yourself ready go over the rule book make sure you know the rules you know make sure you know all the commands are going to be going through and things like that so um we went through some of this stuff in, in past episodes about what you need to bring and, and things like that to be right prepared. but yeah just find something close and just jump in and do it you're no matter what you're going to be nervous um, at your first one, so the best thing is just to get it done, and then after that first one, you can start picking and choosing and seeing which bed. You so, like. Phil, are, are there different levels of competition then, like there is with the bodybuilding stuff, or not so much? You just pick, pick federation. Well, yeah, there are, but you just like you in powerlifting, you can't go to like a nationals unless you qualify for a nationals. Well, in most feds, there's some feds like uh, there's one in particular that's coming around here soon that like. Somehow they throw like six nationals a year, and like anybody can sign up for them, which makes no sense to me. No, it doesn't. But it's you know it's not real <laughs> nationals in, in that sense. So you know, yeah, there'll, there'll be ones like if you can sign up and you've never lifted, you're fine. You know, the ones you just won't be able to sign up for the ones you need to qualify. Okay. Um, and I mean, for anybody that's new, I mean, I honestly just come in expecting to get you. You should get beat at your first competition. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's, even strongman. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, and strongman as well. I mean, just just go in and use this as a learning experience, and you can come out the other end. Okay, here's what I need to work on. You know, there's right. so much little nuances and stuff to competition, and you don't know how to handle the stress and this and that, and, and the rules and the timing of it. And um, yeah, I mean, I just wouldn't expect. But <clears throat> go in, do your best, have fun. So. You know, we've, we've said it before, but just putting your name on the dotted, dotted line, that's going to be a PR. Anything you do on stage is a personal record. So, <clears throat> John, what about you? Prep time, choosing an event for Strongman? You know, I agree with Phil. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of similarities, but um, it, it kind of um, having a little feeling of nostalgia. Like when I did my first Strongman contest, I actually went um, just to check it out and just to support some other you know friends at the time. And, and uh, I ended up competing. I was kind of <laughs> coaxed into competing. And then, um, I mean, I didn't have any equipment. I mean, I barely, you know, was successful in any of the events except for probably farmer's walks. Uh, and I ended up getting fourth. Um, I don't remember how many competitors were there, but there were there were probably about eight, um, maybe maybe up ten. But I got fourth. And then the next year, um, it was just I, I just kind of wanted to do it for fun, just to just to say that I did it and. And then the next year I did the same thing again. And then obviously after that, I got a little bit more serious, but I mean, it just like Phil said, I mean, you can, you can find things in your area. I mean, you can go to North American um, strongman. It's just strongmancorporation.com and you can pick, I mean, they have contests that are already listed, um, you know, up from now until June, you know, in different levels, level one, level two, platinum plus. And, okay. um, and, you know, and if it's your first contest, obviously, you know, just like Phil said, I mean, you're not going to do a platinum plus, you know, you want to do something <laughs> like level one or, um, or even, and, and that's the thing I think about the beauty about strength sports, uh, you know, including powerlifting and bodybuilding, core strongman or, or whatever. I mean, it, you don't expect to, to win like your first or maybe even second time. Um, just go in there and have fun and just, you know, there's a really large camaraderie with 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 the guys and women. Of course, they have you know women strong men, strong women competitors, you know as well. So, I mean, prep time. I mean, and I think one of the things about competing, um, especially I would say after maybe the second time you compete, um, definitely in the first, but after the second time you you, you 
begin to either go in the direction of, okay, I'm just going to do this every once in a while and have fun, or you're going to get really serious with it. So it's either one of those two directions. There's, there's really almost nothing in the middle. It's good advice. And, yeah. I think, and, I, and I think one of the other things about competing is that if you really want to know where you're weak at, you, then you need to eat. Okay. Cause then your training program is going to change significantly. Um, and you'll be stronger for the next contest. And, and I think by, by not competing, you never really know where you're truly weak at. Okay. Um, and yes, you can do max effort stuff here and there in the gym and, and with the events, but, um, and, and you really get a sense of what events, um, are, are good for, for other competitors. Um, and you get a sense of the common events, you know, that are used. Obviously, powerlifting is a little bit, just, you know, three events, but, you know, and strongman is a little bit more, you know, dynamic because there's, there's more events and more things you have to train for ultimately. And, and the training program is different. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, I agree with Phil, there's a lot of similarities and just, and just pick one. I mean, you're, I mean, there, there comes a point in time, I think, in your, in your training career that you, that you're ready like for me i i'm ready to compete again um but i know what i have to increase in terms of like my lifts um and and and, and implements so but i mean i want to do another that's the summer and there's like um four or five going on like on april 30th the day of april 30th there's like five around the country um, but that, that, to me, that's only 12 weeks away. And to me, that's not enough time because, mm. you know, I've got work and I go to conferences and I travel. So, um, I mean, and I don't want to, there's no point to me in training for a contest. I mean, if you get fifth or sixth, especially if you have a lot of experience competing, like you want to get first, second, and I mean, you know, third, I guess, but definitely first or second. So, um, but that's kind of my, uh, one of my, my takes on it. Okay. Yeah. Um, your history, your beginning makes a lot of sense to me. One of the things that I'll talk to clients about, and I don't have many clients. In fact, I try not to these days, but is if you've got enough time to set something a year out, and especially because, because the time investment for bodybuilding is half a year, you know, just for the diet phase. I actually like a full year because it's half a year to get serious about the heavy training and some bulking, then half a year to lean down. But, um, Go watch one. I mean, in a strongman, I would think that's or powerlifting. It's even more important because there are very specific events, uh, and like you said, John, such a wide variety of events. Go watch a few. I mean, and if if you can actually go watch the prior year of the one you're going to target, that'll give you a great idea about the level of competition and stuff too. I mean, you may walk away from there thinking, "Oh man, I'm not ready," or you may walk away from that thinking. I think I can take some of these guys, you know, so go attend a couple rather than just, um, you know, competing from the get go. I think you should go actually watch one or two at least. So. Strength and muscle sport news. Okay. Uh, next bit of news. Uh, I saw this actually a guy at the gym mentioned this. And then, uh, I saw something on our Facebook listeners page, but, a T Nation re-ran an old article that I had written that was speculating about spot reduction. And, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, and the funny thing is, I mean, first of all, I'm glad that that kind of purposely controversial title it still gets people talking uh, because I think the take-home message is, I mean, I've actually spoken to newly minted PhDs, and they just they preach the party line. There's no such thing. It doesn't work. It's like, well – for sure, if you're, you've got a big beer belly, you're not going to get rid of it doing sit-ups, right? But then you think about what a lot of bodybuilders do. They'll practice posing on a particular area, hoping to harden up or change the look. I do think there's a little something to that. I mean, again, we're talking about maybe the last half percent of improvement in your upper back because you're practicing your posing or something. But also, if you look at the science, uh, I hold to this. Go look. It's a referenced article. Um Anybody who reads too much into it or over-concludes, they're missing the point. The point is there is not much data, actually, on spot reduction. Uh, the data that's out there, uh, like you could even find it in basic ex-phys books, it can be interpreted in more than one way. So uh, and, and if you couple that with some of the blood flow data, you know, I just think from a basic observation standpoint, if you're doing cardio and you're trying to get rid of your love handles and they are ice cold, well, your blood's 37 degrees C, right? It's 98.6 Fahrenheit. So if you're not getting blood perfusion into that area, I would think you're not maximizing fat extraction. 
It's just a simple observation. But if you look at microdialysis data, you'll see the same thing. Now, obviously, it depends on what kind of blood's going in there. I don't think you want to pound a Mountain Dew and then and then warm up those areas. But, you know, if you're in a more or less fasted state and your hormones are right, um, I think keeping fatty areas warm is logical. Uh, is it magic? Nope. Can you spot reduce a giant belly? Nope. But when I was writing a lot of that stuff, Tim Patterson was actually, he, he and I had conversations. I was partly hired to be what's, what we are calling a theoretical physiologist, like a what if, you know. And um, I, I just think the data on spot reduction is based on very few studies compared to a lot of the phenomenon we see in sports. So that was the purpose of that. And I don't know, um, I just don't have time to go look at it. You know what I mean? I can't get drawn into controversial things 10 years after I write something because you write something online and it's it's forever and I can't get drawn back into uh, a conversation every time something like that happens but uh, hopefully people will read that for what it is uh, I mean there's lots of controversial things that you can find on on websites like that I mean the, you know they talked about pulse fasting where you fast and then you eat like a horse the day after the fast because it might build more muscle I mean there's a lot of stuff like that there's there's been articles like there's no such thing as overtraining a lot of this stuff is controversial. Um, so anyway, it's interesting that that's kind of cropped back up. Like I said, I bumped into a guy at the gym, and then I saw that on our listeners' page as well. So uh, if you do go read that, take it with a grain of salt. That's what it was meant to do, is just basically point out that there's there's probably less data than you might think. I got a couple. Today, I was scrolling my little news feed as I got on here. And today is the seven-year anniversary of episode number two of Iron Radio. Wow. <laughs> so I put that up. Um, I put that out there. And we got one great comment here from David Fairchild. He said, no bullshit, man. That's amazing. The high amount of information and <clears throat> and useless jibber-jabber is unmatched. Um, ah, no, man. It's by far the best out there. I've had plenty of time to listen to all the archives while operating heavy equipment 10 to 12 hours. I'm probably on round three or four of most episodes. I mm. really appreciate what y'all are doing. <clears throat> so, That's very cool. David. It's awesome. Yeah. It's just, it's crazy to me to think that we've been doing this for seven years now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you know, we did, We somebody said, uh, I, I, and I apologize, I don't remember who it was on Facebook. They said something about, you know, think about supporting these guys. They do this to give back. And they give good information for free. And, you know, it was just really nice what he said about the consistency, you know. And, Phil, I, I mean, I, I do feel like we've been successful in our initial idea that consistently every week, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Real, our main goal. real wow. media. You, you don't log on to watch your favorite TV show and it's not there some weeks, you know. But so many podcasts are spotty like that or they pod fade. And, um, no, if you do something, you want to be good, I think. So, yeah. My um, one more bit of news that I thought people might be interested in is, for the first time ever, Mr. Jim Windler is putting his ebooks all on sale Monday for three days. They're only going to be nine ninety nine. So for Ooh. three days only for all the five three one stuff. I'm just I was just putting that out for him. So what are they cool. usually? Price Twenty. Price. Oh, so yeah, a, well, a bit under fifty percent off. So if you've ever wanted to buy a five three one book. The second edition, Powerlifting or Beyond 531, then this is probably so. Pretty Monday at 10 a.m. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those books most people should have in their library. Frankly, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, um, I did also from our listeners page. I was turned on to this. Somebody had a question and they addressed it to me directly. But it says uh, they were asking about this new study that just came out. I mean, literally just came out. Uh, in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, uh, and I wanted to just uh, chime in. I answered it on our Facebook page, but it's entitled Higher Compared with Lower Dietary Protein During an Energy Deficit Combined with Intense Exercise Promotes Greater Lean Mass Gain and Fat Mass Loss, a Randomized Trial. So that's a real mouthful. But uh, Stu Phillips, who is very prominent with the protein and resistance training studies, he's in this group. It's actually Longland and colleagues, uh, but let me skip to the conclusions at the bottom because I think they really say it all. Uh, our results show that during a marked energy deficit, right, so we're talking about people who are training and dieting, uh, consumption of a diet containing 2.4 grams of protein per kg, so that's more than a gram per pound, 
was more effective than consumption of a diet containing 1.2 grams per kg in promoting increases in lean body mass and losses of fat when combined with a high volume of resistance and anaerobic exercise. So there it is, higher protein diets in a nutshell, better <laughs> for you know retaining or building mass or even helping with fat loss. So it's cool to see that because you know, you'll still talk to certain health educator, dietitian types that are less familiar, and they'll tell you excess calories from any source will become body fat. Well, these aren't excess calories. Actually, Joe Antonio has done some work with even excess protein not becoming body fat, but this is pretty straightforward evidence that, you know, in a very tiered one journal, arguably the best uh, nutrition journal out there is AJCN. And uh, over a gram per pound combined with anaerobic exercise, better for body comp than 1.2 grams. So even 1.2 grams is above the RDA, you know, but uh, definitely the higher protein is advantageous. And that's the kind of thing a lot of strength athletes, I think, could have told you. But it's it's cool to see that in the literature. So I just had something pop up that it, it's exactly what we are fighting against <laughs> with the show. <clears throat> like we've talked about putting out about a good consistent information and stuff like that. And I was, while I was listening to you, I was looking at our Facebook page and on the little sidebar it says Brock Lesnar arrested. So I click <laughs> and it says Brock Lesnar was arrested after police searched his car and found illegal drugs. And then it says, and Brock came on TMZ with us to offer a statement of what really happened. And he said, the police arrested me for my bio-muscle XR and my bio-testosterone XR muscle supplements. They thought they were illegal pills. This is what gives me all my gains. It's like, oh, God. <laughs> this is the hyperbole crap that we're fighting right oh there. Oh, my that God. It's a great example. <clears throat> so it's these types of freaking just junk ads that. Right. Uh, so full of it, you know. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, you know, it's, oh, it's too. Insinuate. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure like no one else has anything better to do than pull yeah. over Brock Lesnar. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and arrest him for his supplements made right. by BioMuscle. It's so. to insinuate potency, of course. Yes, you know? exactly. Uh, They're so awesome, they well, should well, be illegal. Right. And yet he, without making a false claim. Yeah. Just full of shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, let's, let's turn to uh, Sean. Uh, before we go to break here and we have our topic of the day, which is uh, building a big back uh, from a sort of a three sport perspective. But I wanted to just touch base because again, Sean's in the middle of this now, uh, I guess just starting with a question, uh, what's your impression of formal nutrition training, Sean, compared to maybe when you were an athlete? Because I think a lot of people are confused about what real nutritionists are. Yeah, I mean, um, was it what I was expecting going into it? I, I would say yes and no. Um, you know, I was expecting just the heavy workload of the sciences, you know, like I'm in uh, advanced macronutrients. I took advanced micronutrients last semester. And just the whole biochemistry and getting into just the nitty-gritty of it all. But going more just as an athlete side, it's you really – kind of throw all that out the window and just make sure uh, you're eating enough, pretty much, I'd say. Mm -hmm. um, especially, you know, playing baseball and stuff, we had like three-hour practices and everything, you know, so afterwards it wasn't really, I wasn't too concerned about percentages or anything like that. It was just refueling at that point, especially on like road games and stuff when we'd stop at, you know, Wendy's or a pizza place. But yeah, I, th I think the the whole educational side of it um, is ju just a lot cleaner than what we practically implement in our lives, especially as athletes. Right. Is the clinical stuff, because I'm, I'm sure you're getting lots of clinical stuff, including an internship with rotations in hospitals and that kind of stuff, do you see any parallel with sports nutrition, or do you think it's really kind of just different? Uh, I, I do think it's a lot different. Um, I am in a clinical class right now, just... Um, you know, going over the diet plans and stuff of the chronic diseases and whatnot. And, you know, those are mostly just like templates and uh, just a prescribed diet plan. Yeah. But other than that, it, do it doesn't really overlap with a lot of sports nutrition yet. 
Right. Yeah. Uh, it, what surprised me when I went through that process, and again, this is for people who are interested in nutrition, I don't think they realize the difference in culture. Um, dietetics programs are, they're healthcare, right? And when it comes, whether it's legalities or pay scale or so many other things, it's it's sort of a bit more like nursing than it is coaching, right? And I think a lot of people in the fitness field, they try to almost take a coaching uh, perspective when they try to give nutrition advice as opposed to what you're talking about, Sean, with there's almost templates like here's what we do for uncomplicated hypertension or here's a meal plan, you know, both the, the idea behind it and examples for, let's say, someone with type 2 diabetes, you know, with a comorbidity of some kind uh, and that kind of stuff. But the culture really struck me uh, as quite different. And I think that's that's something maybe a lot of people uh, lack when you get online you know you see people giving diet advice on youtube or on podcasts and they don't have that formal background uh it does help to know that in disease states you know when something goes wrong like diabetes and carbohydrate metabolism it gives you some insight into what a healthy machine should be doing i would think you know what i mean because of their intolerance uh for certain doses of carbohydrates or some of the meds involved and and all that kind of stuff. So right. are you happy with it? I mean, do you think it's a um, natural outgrowth for people that are interested in, in uh, sports and weight training and that kind of stuff to heavily look into dietetics or to follow those journals? Or do you think it's it's maybe separate enough that it's, it's just a different field altogether? Uh, I mean, I'd like to see more advancements. Mm-hmm. I actually read an article the other day um, it was on the Washington Post, and it was from Dr. Stephen Neeson. He's from the Cleveland Clinic. He's a cardiologist. And uh, the title of it's called U.S. Dietary Guidelines in Evidence-Free Zone. And it kind of just goes along lines. He's saying that the nutrition field is a lot of just observational studies. And one of the quotes from it, it says, the lack of high-quality experimental evidence has left the dietary advice to cult-like advocates and it kind of does discredit our profession because we're not really overlapping with the sports nutritionists or anything, you know, the sports nutrition side, um, the athletic sides. It's just getting into, like, universities and dietitians, uh, programming for athletic programs. So the athletic community has been stuck with just the nutrition experts and gurus and, you know, pushing all the fad diets and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I'd like to see a lot more advancements just pushing towards that. Right. That's a scathing title, uh, evidence-free zone. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we're supposed to have <laughs> evidence-based practice. You know, we're going to have some people on uh, talking about standards of practice, whether it's strength coaching, nutrition, uh, that sort of stuff. But it's true. I mean, we have such freedom of information online right now. You can go grab information. But in the old days, we used to have editors or reviewers sort of between the consumer and the author of something, you know, the creator of a diet. And now we we have such open access that it can actually be bad because you can access junk, you know, lots of non-evidence-based junk. I mean, how many times do you read something in a fitness magazine where they actually have references? I just wrote something for a magazine and they, uh, the editor said, well, we had to remove all the references. I'm like, well, what? Yeah, and a lot of times, because I, I mean, I've had to do this, I mean, because I, I write for a lot of these, you know, mags, and, and, and most of them actually put, you know, they may have, I may cite like maybe eight references, and they may put like, you know, three or four in there, but a lot of them, what they do, and it's not really on purpose, it's mainly just to um, to cut down on space and, and, and volume, oh, sure. they'll, they'll say something like, you know, Lowry, you know, and colleague 2016, but they don't really use, sometimes they use the person's name, or sometimes they use... You know, a, a recent study in Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research, you know, found, oh, you know, and sometimes they'll give the name or the title of the actual article and yeah. sometimes the person's name. So it just it just depends. But um, well, you know, it could I mean, get too dry otherwise. And you know what? To yeah. their credit, these guys that I was working with most recently, they put all the references in an online resource. And they just said, if you want to go see the references, because I do think, you know, like Sean just said, evidence free zone. That's what we got to get away from so much in in the the bodybuilding and strength field it's it's opinion as evidence 
and you get people that have been around long enough, I don't think they can even tell the difference. You know, they start to believe yeah. that their opinions are evidence. And that's completely crap. <laughs> and that's a, I mean, that's a whole different topic. And I've, I've, I've told some of my classes this stuff, like the very first lecture of um, certain classes, I talk about like evidence-based practice and, and what really constitutes a more science and, and, and validity of it versus, you know, YouTube or men's health or, you know, my, my buddy at the bro, you know, said this or found, you know, this and heard this. And so, um, I mean, cause most students don't even really know about that at all. I mean, a lot of students don't even know about like creatine and what it really does, you know? So, but yeah, that's just, it's just, it's just kind of part of it. I mean, I, and I, and that's, I know this is a whole different topic, but I like, I like anecdotal evidence, but not, like a hundred percent anecdotal, you know, into opinion. I mean, let's just face it. A lot of stuff that, that works out there is not researched, you know, and we know that it works and there's little to no science on it. And there's things that have a, quite a bit of scientific understanding and evidence-based science that may not always fit perfectly or translate very well to, you know, the weight room and, and athletic practice, you know, because of just differences in, in settings, environments and time and sure. athletes. So it's it's a whole different topic, like it's, like I said, but um, you, you have to be able to, to differentiate, you know, between the two and, and, and understand, um, you know, the strengths and weaknesses of both. Yeah. And, you know, I understand in magazines, if they're going to show evidence, they can't put 30 references in an article, you know, yeah. uh, when I used to write stuff like for flex or muscle and fitness, yeah, they'd squeeze in two or three references, you know, and then other ones, not so much, you know, and I, I do like the idea, though, that listeners should be aware that it, it is built on some kind of evidence. And when there's not evidence, you're right, we need to compare study findings with what we see in the real world, you know, which is sort of my purpose with that spot reduction thing. There's not as much evidence as most people think. It's a, it's like, you know, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. The evidence behind that is a little shakier than a lot of people think, you know, so these are sort of these, um, they're not myths, but they're these sort of things we take for granted is true. And the evidence is actually spottier. And like you said, you got to compare that with the experience. I mean, I'm sure Phil has seen lots of things in the gym that either support or refute, you know, what the science might say. And that's the idea of open review. I was just reading the thing yesterday in nature and they were talking about instead of having two or three reviewers look at a paper, actually you publish something. And this stemmed out of a thing that pharmaceutical companies were starting to release negative findings and saying, you know what, we can't reproduce what these academic papers showed, whether it's cancer drug or diabetes or whatever. Uh, so they're starting to talk about opening things to open review, and that's got pros and cons too. But the whole idea of that is, like you said, anecdotal stuff, experiential stuff, it's that's where the rubber hits the road. So it's important to kind of say, well, I don't see that, you know, or I don't know where you got that evidence, but in my situation with my population or with this time frame, we're not seeing that, you know, and it is kind of neat that whole replication idea. So. Well, any other sh thoughts, Sean, are you going to take this in a, before we go to break, are you going to take this to your setting? Are you going to return ultimately once you jump through all these different hoops and food service and clinical and all this other stuff? Are you going to return to a sports nutrition setting? Is that what you want to do? Or are you thinking about just the more you learn, you're getting drawn more into uh, other aspects of dietetics? Um, I really like the sports nutrition side of everything, you know, just growing up being an athlete. But I do really like the clinical side, and I'm leaning more towards working in an on oncology department. Wow. Um, just because that's been a part of my life and affected a lot of people that I know. And I think that'd be a good route to go. Definitely, even on the side, as much as I could, just consult with athletic programs, stuff like that, university, or hopefully even professional teams at one point in my career. That's sweet. I think there are some things you can learn on the clinical side, including oncology, where you know you're trying to preserve someone's muscle tissue, for example, uh, in a cachectic state, or you know, yeah. and uh, sports nutrition borrows some of the findings from clinical. It can be, it can just be cool. All right, uh, let's go to break. When we come back, we're going to talk about building a big back. Nice.
Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So, uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. <laughs> your weekly fix of iron radio in addition to being a popular institute on itunes we are also on email simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email you'll get a once per week email no more that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio so go for it <laughs> Hi, everybody. We are back. We're going to talk about backs. So uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's the only segue I could think of there. Um, no, I mean, I mean, arguably, you know, I could make a great argument that you know, building a back is the best thing you can do for any sports endeavor. I mean, your posterior chain from top to bottom is basically just where it's at. So, but I think we're going to specifically talk about kind of what people would refer to as traditionally your back, meaning the upper torso on the backside. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, – <clears throat> I, I guess there's probably a lot of a, a junk out there about it, and, and there's a lot of good stuff out there about it. But, I mean, for me, I mean, one thing I stumbled upon early, and I've told everybody this, I think the reason that I've always had a strong back, it's probably the only thing that I've never injured is anything on my back. And um, – because I started out early, and I don't know, I had a love affair with just, just trying to build a strong back. And, uh, you know, lots of volume, lots of heavy weights, and then also my strongman background. Um, I don't know any powerlifters that, that have a strong strongman background that don't have a strong back. And it's because that sport in and of itself is so back-intensive. Um, everything you do is picking something up, hanging onto something, carrying things, um, <laughs> stuff like that. And, I mean, I think... A lot of that is just lost in traditional training. It's the, the, the stuff behind you takes second seat to the stuff you can see in the mirror. Um, everybody's all pecs and abs and biceps and triceps and quads. Right. Um, as opposed to hamstrings and calves and glutes and, you know, spinal erectors and, you know, all that stuff. So, so um, from your perspective, I mean, I know you're going to program more around movements instead of just necessarily anatomy. Obviously, you're a big fan of the deadlift, but uh, for building, yeah. like, is that, is that also your biggest mass builder? No, I mean, I deadlift for sure. I mean, everybody should be doing it. I'm, I'm also in agreement with, you know, Jim Windler on 
if you're not doing good mornings, you should be. I think it's one of those moves that everybody should be doing. I think a lot of people start out and try and do them too heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get a lot out of them by just doing them right and doing them nice and controlled. Um, and there was a point in time, like even when I started, it was starting with sets of 10 and stuff like that. And, you know, I've, I've backed off on good mornings in the recent years, but that was because like one day I good morning to parallel with a safety squat bar more than I could squat. So like I better pay attention to some other things more <laughs> than my good morning. Yeah. You know, when you can good morning 675 with a safety squat bar and touch your knees with your elbows. Yeah. It's, you've probably spent enough time on that, that stuff. So, um, but I think that's one of those moves. That's one of those moves I push on my clients a lot. Um, we do twice the amount of rowing as we do any pressing move. Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> yeah. Let's say I have people do a total of five sets of five overhead press. We're going to do at least 50 reps of some kind of pull down or chin up. Interesting. You know, just to get the volume in. Um, you see a lot more, a lot less shoulder injuries in that too. Um, but, you know, we've got to build your lats. We need to build, you know, your spinal erectors. We need to build scapular control and, and things like that. So we, we do a ton of rowing. Um, I think one thing that people don't do enough of is just picking things up and hanging onto them, be it a heavy sandbag, things like that. They forget that just hanging on to so picking something up. Let's say you pick up a sandbag or a keg and hold it. What's doing that? You know, of course, your biceps, but your back is just largely controlling much of that load. Mm-hmm. You know, you're having to squeeze it, hold it um, from your back from top to bottom. I mean, even your traps and everything else are involved. Sure. So um, a lot of those things, um, geez, I, I'm a fan of upright rows. I think the people that hate upright rows are the people that do them and they think they're you need to load it up heavy. I mean, it's I can get it's the same thing for traps. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. I mean, I can get, still at this point, I can get a ton out of grab a 45-pound barbell, do 100 reps. You know, can I do a lot more weight than that? Yes. Do I need to? No. You know, it's not, there's no award for the biggest upright row in the world. Right. You right. know, it's it's learning, I treat those back moves, a lot of them, yeah, I go heavy on some of them, but I treat your back moves as a bodybuilder would. We get a bunch of volume in and try and build a meaty back to support all the other stuff we're going to do. Absolutely. So. What, about, what about you, John? Oh, yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I do. Um, I like training four days a week, but typically I've just been doing three just because of like work and school and, you know, some other stress stuff. But I probably, I kind of added it up. I do about 250 reps a week just with back work. Um, and I think that's pretty common. Um, when you look at high level, like, you know, tier guys and, or, you know, women, women have a lot of strong backs. I mean, I don't, I don't know any, I don't know any lifter or know of any lifter that have monster lifts, you know, squat bench deadlift that don't have monster backs. I mean, it's just, you're just not going to see it. I mean, you're not going to see a guy who has a huge bench and and a smaller weak back. You're never going to see someone who has a monster deadlift and a smaller weak back. It just doesn't, um, you know, and a lot of people do like, you know, high rep, you know, volume like deadlifts. Um, I mean, yeah, those are fine. I, mean, I particularly don't do high rep pure deadlifts like sumo or traditional unless I'm maybe training for a contest that has like a car deadlift in it. So I typically keep the deadlifts, um, you know, sumo is anywhere from like, um, you know, singles, doubles or triples. But um, I mean, I like I like good mornings. Um, I'm kind of with Phil. I don't. I don't, I'm not a fan of good mornings with the safety squat bar, like going all the way down. I like maybe doing it, um, you know, quarter way to maybe a dead stop from the pins. Mm-hmm. But I like doing uh, camber bar good mornings because you can, you know, up the weight, um, you know, and the load distribution is a little bit different. You can sit back a little bit more. You're not pulled forward as much uh, with a camber bar as you are with the safety squat bar. But um, I started doing um, heel elevated, like dumbbell stiff leg deadlifts, um, RDL. Like those are really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, for glutes and hammies. But, yeah, I mean, uh, reverse hypers, um, even um, back extensions with the safety squat bar. But, I mean, even on my lower body days, I still do a back exercise. And most upper body days, I'm doing two different back exercises. And all my assistance work, I don't do anything less than eight reps. It's like I have this eight rep minimum philosophy with all the assistance work that I, that I do. Um, I don't do anything less than eight reps, and it's just there's just no really point because I mean the whole point of assistance work is to is to build functional yeah. hypertrophy, is to build muscle mass, and 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 to really assist you know the main lifts and 
So you need volume. Um, right. Yeah, you need volume. Most people don't understand. I mean, you're not going to build a big, strong back doing like reps of five or six reps. You know, you, it has to be tens, twelves, and I like doing uh, up to like fifteen to twenty reps, with like dumbbell rows and uh, like half kneeling face pulls for sets of you know fifteen to twenty reps, and fairly you know fairly heavy. We're in a reverse hyper is twelve, fifteen reps. I mean, everything is just in you know, a higher volume, and um, I mean, you really have to do a lot, a lot of volume. Even just to get sore, you know, with back, especially when you're more trained. Um, but uh, I mean, you have to you have to do a lot of you got to do a lot of volume. You know, different angles, um, not just dumbbell rows, but just even off the rack or even on the bench. Um, you know, half kneeling stuff, cable rows. You know, vertical pressing. Using and I like using different um, you know bars and specialty bars. Like I use a tsunami pull down bar. Um, you know, um, supplement or excuse me, supinated grip, um, the, the neutral grip bar position for lap downs. I've actually started doing more seated rows than I have in a long time and just go pretty heavy with them and I like strict, them. Yeah. strict and con- kind of control with, you know, 12 to 15 reps. Like it really gets your mid back, um, really, really good and, and it builds, does. it builds a thick mid back. Uh, like T bar rows. If you don't have a T bar, um, then you can use a landmine. Um, if you have a landmine apparatus and do those like for high reps, like there's something and it's really weird. I mean, cause, cause like, just like Phil said, everyone focuses on the anterior portion of, of their training and not enough focus on posterior chain. But you know, when you have like a huge back pump, it's very, very different from what you'd feel like in arms, you know, or, or, or quads, like it just a lot more volume, um, you know, to really feel stuff. But I mean, like, I mean, when your back is big and strong, I mean, you don't have a whole lot of things that you really need to worry about. Yeah, it feels more powerful. You know, let's face it. Your lats are the biggest muscles on your upper body. And if you want to go down the whole posterior chain, your glutes are also enormous, you know, muscles. And like you said, that's going to call for more um, volume or to even get it sore. We're not talking about your biceps here. You know, I mean, if you think about lats and traps, uh, just anatomically, I think about the how complex the origins the insertions the actions you know these are big muscles that do lots of different things uh i would argue in comparison to like your pecs you know and like phil was saying and yet people are so used to that uh view from the front but you're talking about much bigger muscles that require more volume and it's interesting what phil said about doing twice as much back as pressing because lately what i've been doing is uh it's it's not to the same extent but uh i always do at least one or two more sets for my back than i do for chest even on days if i do even a whole body workout day i'll do twice as much uh back you know not twice as much but more a couple more sets for back than i do for chest and i th- i just think that's kind of a no brainer you know now one thing i think that's different from bodybuilding versus what you guys are doing and i know phil was talking about hypertrophy and you were too john but uh from a bodybuilder perspective, we think by body part, you know, and not by movement. So it's sometimes hard to incorporate something like traditional deads. Uh, do you put those on back day or leg day? You know, because you could end up with ruined legs from squat day and then you're supposed to deadlift. That's going to make it really tough. I mean, so my solution to that, and people can disagree, that's fine. Uh, so people are built differently. I mean, I think deadlift is so incredibly linked to the biomechanics of the way you're built you know people with longer arms or different torso length and that sort of thing but um that's why i just love low rack pulls and i was i've talked about that long ago on the show but the last round of competing that i did i really focused on that because you can go really pretty heavy with that stuff you don't have to go all the way to the floor you know which is really more devastating in a lot of ways and if you're trying to put on back day you know i had read that even frank zane did that uh, a lot with some pretty heavy freaking weights. I mean, you know, 405, stuff like that. I mean, you can apply tons of weight. And I, my traps and mid-back were so much thicker. Uh, I, I should probably put a picture like on our Facebook page, but there's some back shots where I'm standing there. And you see a lot of other guys, amateurs, by comparison, I'm not blowing my own horn, but their upper backs just looked thin. And I think because, like Phil was saying, they're so busy focusing on biceps and arms and abs and pecs you know that they didn't do the heavy pulling that that gets you that much thicker look you know you see a lot of guys they look pretty impressive from like a beach perspective but very few people 
I would argue, have that powerful look, that mountain gorilla, silverback kind of, you know, power <laughs> look. And that's because they don't have a big butt and they don't have a big back, you know. Yeah. And and again, it may be because maybe they're under-volumizing, um, you know, the sets and reps for their back. Yeah. So I mean, like, I, I just done more just over time, I guess, the last, like, you know, maybe – years or whatever and like i said it's over time but and, and a lot of you have to kind of um you know if you're not used to doing higher volume um on certain areas then it just you can't you can't just go gung-ho and throw in a bunch of volume over a three or four week period like you have to you know kind of be accumulated over time and over uh, you know course of you know several months to you know a year or so but even on low like i said like upper body days I'm usually doing double the amount of, of, of back work than I do any type of, you know, pressing, especially vertical pressing for like overhead work. And even on lower body days, um, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do it as well. Typically it's just one exercise. Um, and back is usually two exercise or upper body is usually two exercises. But yeah, I mean, I'll do about probably about 250 reps a week. Um, just with back work. Well, I can see uh, how you could do that even on leg day, uh, even from a bodybuilder yep. perspective, because there's not just one or two, angles or muscles to hit back there you know I mean, there's, a, exactly. there's a lot of complexity think about how complex your spine is with all those transverse processes and you know the longissimus muscles and all the stuff that's going on up and down your back uh, there's a lot going on back there and I, I like what you said about all the different angles and that sort of stuff because uh yeah there's there's a lot to play with and you could probably it's true even a bodybuilder um like uh well you know i'll give you an example like uh i started doing shoulders on back day because heavy overhead pressing yep. would make my upper back really sore you know not just your anterior delts but across your traps down deep under your traps into your rhomboids you can feel that shit you know i know uh, yeah i i am going to i'm going to try to uh on my pressing overhead pressing days whether whether it be more like a you know max effort or dynamic effort like this past this this week um i did some ohps and um, I just did, you know, last three, it's like, you know, with five reps for just 250, you know, now when I mean overhead Ooh, press, am I, I mean, about standing, you know, yes. usually do, use, the, use the Swiss bar uh, and, and with, re with reference to OHP, I, I think overhead pressing 225, like controlled, even if you have like a little push press to me, is far more impressive than someone benching 300 pounds or 315. Um, I oh, mean, there's so not primal. a lot of people that can just overhead, you know, 225 even just normal recreational lifters um you know so that to me that's that's far far more impressive but i'm going to start doing um some i mean obviously for my warm-ups and stuff you know foam roll for you know a few minutes and then you know do some slime mobility and do like band pull aparts and you know shoulder work and then i'm thinking about doing like a um, kind of a heavy back movement before i do the OHP work and just kind of see how it feels. That's interesting. Um, because really, yeah. because really, with overhead work, I mean, you got to squeeze the shit out of your upper back yeah. and just stay tight and stay controlled. And um, and so even like on even since I've been doing, I usually do OH, OHP work first. You know, I, my my speed work is really good, but my grinding strength has kind of lacked a little bit. So mm -hmm. after dynamic effort overheads, I'll do like seated dumbbells. You know, with like the the eighties. Um, and just got to go a little bit more controlled and just like slower tempo um, just to kind of work on the grinding strength a little bit. Because sometimes you kind of – it's funny how a lot of times in training like you get focused on certain things and the certain aspects of the movement. You, you kind of tend to forget about you know the slower controlled tempo movements, whether it be fast oh, you know, or slow. You know, it's just – it's not um, – it, it's not a bad thing. It's just you just kind of forget about it, um, you know, kind of. Consciously, you don't, you're not really thinking about it. And, you know, John, um, because, I think that's something um, maybe that the strongmen and the powerlifters, they get so movement-focused. I think it's very natural for bodybuilders to do that repetition, mind in the muscle. You know, feel it, stretch, push up, like what you call grinding strength. Yeah. Uh, that's most of what I do, I think. Yeah. You know? yeah. And not that I don't do more explosive things. and But let's face it, it's a little harder to be truly explosive with like a seated cable roll. I love exactly. that movement. 
But, yeah. you know, if you pull that at you really fast, you're going to get lack in the cable and slack, and, and that's not going to be good. But a exactly. lot of the movements, it's it's funny that I think, you know, bread and butter movements in bodybuilding, you guys have already touched on. T-bar rows, you know, barbell rows, overhead presses, because, again, I'm a big believer that's an upper back thing as much as it is deltoids, you know. Uh, I, I don't know. I can't say enough for seated cable rows. That's one of my favorite. My back gets so sore uh, yeah, when I do and my those. back gets really sore like when I do um, like deficit stiff leg deadlifts. I mean, and I can, I mean, I pulled 605 off a low block last week. Like my birthday was last Monday, the first um, week of the semester. Oh, happy actually. birthday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot. But uh, I pulled 605 on a, off a 13-inch you know, block off the floor. It wasn't my best, you know, but I mean, I'll just, I'll just take. But um, um, yeah, I mean, and I follow that up with, you know, with, with some more back work, but um, yeah, it's just like, you know, we're so, sometimes we're so movement focused, like we tend to forget about just slower control tempos, but, you know, sometimes like on the rows and stuff and vertical pressing, um, or excuse me, vertical pulling, sometimes my back doesn't get like really sore. It'll get like, kind of tight, but it won't get like really sore. And in certain movements, like you'll get more sore, you know, than others just because, you know, of different angles and moving your body position, you know, around and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, you need a, you need a real strong back. Like when you're when you're in strength sports, you know, particularly with strongmen and powerlifting, you can never have enough back strength, and you can never have enough tricep strength. Um, and tricep strength is something that I've been consistently working on the last couple of years, and it's really paid off. Um, you know, with with, with the overhead movements um, and, and and things of that nature. One of the things I don't think we mentioned, at least I I didn't think about it, but is um, I love heavy dumbbell just shrugs. Um, yeah. I, I, they're just, you got to be really careful sometimes too. I mean, sometimes I'll do, uh, when I used to train at a gym, I could get behind the gym. I would do like farmer's walks back and forth out, you know, out back the gym, just with like one twenties. I mean, that sounds yeah. heavy to some people. That's not heavy for you, but, but you got to almost be careful with some of that stuff too. Cause you got to have your mind in it because to me, if you let your, if you let your traps relax too far, you know, that it's like hanging too much. Uh, I tend to hurt my rhomboids and stuff, you know, maybe it's just because I'm not as big of a person, but uh, that kind of uh, like what you guys were referring to, just lifting up heavy things, holding heavy things, that's your back, you know, so stuff like those just dumbbell farmer's walks or heavy shrugs. I love that stuff for upper back. Yeah, and know? it's like a lot of times I think we're so used to doing like reps, and then when we then when we do something that's more isometric focused, then it becomes a different story. And yeah. a lot of times you find out where you may be weak at. Yeah, you know, and and like and I don't, I like doing shrugs, and I don't do them very often, but I like. I mean, farmers walks to me like obviously gets huge traps, and I don't like it. I can't stand it when people put, you know, five hundred or six hundred plus pounds on the freaking bar and doing stupid shrugs and they're going like you know one thirty seconds you know one sixteenth of a range of motion i'm yes. like why don't you back it back down to maybe 315 or even just grab like the 130 or 140 dumbbells or whatever and just hold that contraction for like one or two seconds at the top and then come back down for like a two second you right. know hold and then back up for, i mean Feel guys just like you're gonna yeah. really you i mean you're gonna walk out of the gym, and you're going to have, like, Tyrannosaurus traps. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, we're out of time, so... Uh, no, that's good stuff. I just... I, I thought it would be good for us to talk about it from different perspectives, because, again, one's a more of an anatomical body part perspective. Uh, the other, you know, strength sports are more uh, movement-based, and I think both sides need to think about explosion time under tension the complexity of all the different angles like you said isometric versus more dynamic lifts there's so much to talk about with back so oh good stuff yeah all right well until next week everybody i guess that's it all right Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and 
choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org. And um, let us know what you think on the forums. And certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.